Hello and welcome back. This is the Sharpen Podcast, episode number 81. I'm actually the only human behind the curtain of the show. First off, thank you so much to Rocky Talkies for sponsoring the Sharpen Podcast. Rocky Talkies are backcountry radios designed by two climbers from Denver. These radios are extremely lightweight, durable, and more affordable than any other backcountry radio on the market. And as you listen into this episode, you'll understand why these radios are such a valuable resource to have in the backcountry. Do you like discounts? Get 10% off your radios by going to rockytalkie.com slash sharpend. And as always, thank you to the American Alpine Club for plugging my podcast and their newsletter, The Prescription. Head on over to their website to subscribe. Today, I welcome Andrew to the show. Andrew has been sport climbing for about 10 years and wanted to get some alpine mountaineering experience under his belt. He did a handful of mountaineering climbs leading up to this particular climb, one of those being Mount Whitney, and then he and his climbing partners set their sights on Mount Baldy, the highest peak in the San Bernardino Mountains in California, sitting at 10,064 feet. On January 19th, 2019, he set out to climb this peak with his climbing partner and his golden retriever, Charlie. I'll let Andrew take it from here. Thanks for having me, Ashley. And uh, so first of all, I just wanna say, I'm sure I speak on behalf of all your listeners when I say uh, thank you for creating and producing this podcast. (laughs) I know it takes a lot of hard work and it's definitely a labor of love, but uh, I'm sure sure it's made an impact with preventing accidents on the mountain. And um, yeah, in a lot of the cases, there's there's no way to assign a value to that. So so thank you. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, it is definitely a labor of love and uh, it's been eight years in the running or making, and I'm very, very proud of it. But it does take a lot of time and um, love and effort, and a lot of a lot of people don't. I don't really talk about this a lot, but it actually takes a lot of emotional investment on my end because there's all these traumatic stories that I'm hearing over and over and over again, and I'm I'm carrying that, you know. So it's but yeah, I appreciate you taking the moment to say thanks. Yep, yep absolutely. Um, so yeah, a little background on me. Uh, I, I grew up in Texas. I wasn't particularly outdoors in the sense that I am today. Uh, I grew up playing golf and that ultimately led me to going to, to college in California and uh, spent four years in Malibu and exposed to just a ton of what Southern California has to offer. So I was introduced to rock climbing my senior year of college and I made Malibu Creek State Park it's been my local crag ever since then. So since about 2011, 2012, uh, got into a lot of other outdoor activities. So paddleboarding, freediving, hiking, backpacking, Ooh, cool. spearfishing, just everything that, yeah, everything you can imagine that Southern California has. Yeah. Um, but started to dip my toe a little bit um, into trad, alpine climbing and mountaineering these, um, these past few years. And basically I collect way too much gear for just way too many activities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I'm definitely an outdoor enthusiast. It doesn't necessarily line up with what I do um, real world for my nine to five. I'm, I'm in the fitness industry, but fitness industry just being uh, with fitness locations and some gyms that we have out here. Um, but, you know, every chance I get, I'm outside. Uh, I never want to be in a gym working out. So everything that that I can do outside to take the place of any physical fitness to do inside, uh, I jump all over it. Nice. Um, but yeah, so to 
kind of get a little bit uh, background before uh, my actual accident that I had on, on Mount Baldy. Um, in December of 2018, my climbing partner, who's actually one of my best friends, I, I grew up with him back in Texas, and he's the one who introduced me into rock climbing. We went to Mount Whitney, um, like I said, in December 2018, with no real intention of summiting, just because we, know, we knew how much snow was going to be up there. And uh, I'm not sure how many listeners are familiar with, with Mount Whitney, but you get you drive up to the portal and you start from there. And, but during some times of the year, the, uh, they'll shut the road that leads up to the portal. So you get kind of stuck in Alabama hills. And so what we did was we, we camped below where the road closure was and we hiked up, started had like a 3 a.m. Alpine start. And this was the first time I think either of us had really done it. But um, what really impressed me and what I really took away from from going up to to Whitney in 2018 was the stillness and the calmness of of an early start like that. Um, And we just saw the most epic sunrise. And and I was I was completely hooked after that. We didn't make it very far. We had about waist high snow, I want to say two or three miles in. Um, so we didn't have any of the gear uh, and we knew that going into it. So there was no real summit expectations, uh, but I did take away a lot of it, a lot of, a lot of positives from you know, the, the few mile hike that we went on up there. Um, so much so that like the following week, I went up to Mount Baldy and where is Mount Baldy exactly? So it's in LA County. It's right kind of bordering San Bernardino County. Um, and it's the highest peak in the San Gabriel Mountains um, and the highest peak technically in, in, in L.A. County, even though it's right on the border. And I think um, San, San Gregorio uh, is, is higher than that, but it's technically in San Bernardino County. So same mountain range, um, highest one in L.A. County. So I think a week after we went to Mount Whitney, uh, I decided I've got to go check out Mount Baldy. And I want to do another one of these super early Alpine starts, uh, just because I loved it so much. Um, and I took my dog and it was just me and him. Uh, his name's Charlie. And we, we got about like a 4am start and again, went into it with just the mindset of, I want to explore it. Not really thinking about summiting, just a, a good reason to get out of my house. Um, and about halfway up, we passed a climber who was actually on his way down. And he suggested that if we didn't have any crampons, or I guess if I didn't have any crampons, that we don't go much farther than the ski hut. And the ski hut is only about a couple hundred mile or a couple hundred yards from the, uh, the start of the mountaineering route, which is also referred to as just the Baldy Bowl. So we got up to the ski hut, um, still a little dark out. And same thing as the week before at Whitney. We just saw this epic sunrise. It was awesome. I was hooked and, and I called my climbing partner that day and I said, Hey, we got to come back. Um, and we got to do, we got to do Mount Baldy. So that Christmas, which was a couple weeks after that, I was gifted these traction cleat things. I mean, I don't really know how to give you a good verbal representation of what they even look like, but it was this piece of rubber with with some metal at the bottom of it. That yeah, you, they're like yak tracks. 
Yeah, yeah. So they're like a couple of steps down from micro spikes, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So not great. Like I feel like soccer cleats had better traction than that. Um, so as of the story of what happened, so we get um, to January 19th of 2019. And I pick up my buddy. Um, Your climbing buddy, the same guy that you've yep. been climbing with? Yep. I pick him up. Um, we drive out to Mount Baldy and we had a uh, somewhat early start again. And I remember it put us around the ski hut at 6 a.m. Um, but yeah, we uh, we put, he had micro spikes and I had these yak tracks um, and we put them on on pretty level ground because we were starting to pass through some some icy patches on the trail. And it was just this night and day difference from hiking with my with my boots with nothing on them to these putting on these yak tracks. And I was just kind of blown away and had this really false sense of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so we climb up, we hike up past the ski hut, and we start, we're at the base of the mountaineering route at around 6.15. And so... When and again, sorry, I, I didn't mention this. We had we had my dog Charlie with us, um, and he'll come into play later on in the story. But we start hiking up these very defined boot tracks that are in this really icy, frozen wind slab, and it is, I mean, so firm that I couldn't make a boot print, let alone make anything as deep as as what we were following in. These tracks yeah. were, you know, about a foot deep. Um, and so that was, it was really easy going. It was, it was like walking up a staircase. Uh, you could get the sole of your boots just completely flat in these tracks. So I wasn't thinking anything of it and really not paying attention to, I guess, how steep and everything was getting. Um, but I want to say after about a thousand feet, the track started to get a little bit lighter and the mountain started to get a lot steeper. So Charlie started struggling a little bit. Um, he was, wasn't sliding by any means, but you could, you could see his, he was kind of unsure about where to go, especially when the boot, when the boot marks stopped. So there we, was this. He was traveling in the boot, ca- boot case or um, boot pack staircase with you guys. Yep. yep. He was, he was going up the same way that we were. Um, there might've been some times where he was a little bit, off of that. Um, but not too much. He, he kind of kept on with us, but yeah, as he started struggling, it was around this area where there was this outcropping of rocks to the climbers, right. And it was about 50 feet out. And so I figured the best option for him was just to traverse over and we'd get him on this little outcropping and he'd get better traction and we'd scramble up to the top because it seemed to have gone to the same section the you know our same summit was where you could go off this outcropping so um i put him on leash because he's starting to struggle a little bit and started traversing across this steep section um with an ice axe and a leash in my hands and actually i th- i think charlie had i think I had charlie's leash clipped to my belt loop which was probably even a worse idea than having it in my hand um so at some point during that traverse, my traction cleat, yak, yak tracks, 
came loose and started to slip off the front of my boot. Um, and I, th- I'm, I'm assuming that it's because I was trying to dig my toe into this section of slab, but with, with those cleats that I had on, there was no traction at the front of the boot. It was just rubber. Um, so just rubber hitting snow and wasn't doing anything for me. So before I tried to adjust it and get it back on my boot correctly, um, I gave my leash to my climbing partner, which in retrospect was like the absolute best thing that happened that day. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So I readjust my cleat and I start traversing. And the next thing I remember, I just, I was sliding. And it's a little bit of a blur around what actually triggered it, but I remember being on my stomach for a split second and then I rolled to my right side. And were you wearing a backpack? I was. I had a pretty small, I want to say it's like a 12 liter um, ski backpack with a pretty full bladder, water bladder in it. And um, I think I might have had like a jacket in there or something else. But um, so I, I roll slightly to my right side and I look down and I th- that was the only point or at least the first point that I realized just how steep everything was. Yeah. And I and I immediately knew just based on how packed and how frozen everything was that it was going to end badly. But it was um, going to be fast. That it was going to be fast and it yeah. was going to be, you know, uncontrollable and I had a long long way to go before, you know, gravity was going to level anything out. So, um I started picking up speed and I'm still kind of on my side. I remember having both of my hands trying to dig into the snow um, just to slow myself down. But I was just, you know, convinced. I was saying for sure I'm going to die. Do you still have your ice axe in your hand? No. And so my, my climbing partner, when he eventually, you know, retrieved everything, came back down, he said it was self-arrested. But kind of in that blur where I don't remember too much of, of how it initially happened. I must have gone, been going fast enough before I self-arrested to slip through the right. shaft of it. Yep. Um, and I, I had mittens on, but not too long before that I had swapped it out. So I just had these liners on and the liners at some point, whether they came off while I was trying to grab onto to the shaft of my ISAX or while I was sliding down, I didn't have them by the end of it. So I had, it was just my bare hands trying to slow down on this, on this ice slab. Um, and yeah, I was just totally convinced. I said, for sure, I'm going to die and started having all of these deep realizations. And I feel like a lot of people who have these NDEs or, or near death experiences have some peaceful moment during all this chaos, but Mine was more of just this like ontological big picture experience where um, I remember telling myself, well, no one really knows how they're going to die, but everyone does. And now I know that I'm going to die today and it's going to be on January 19th and it's going to happen on this mountain. And it, I wasn't necessarily mad about it. You accept um, it. You, you accept it. Was, yeah, it was, I was very accepting of it. And yeah, emotions in that moment weren't really part of it. And mm-hmm. that's not, that's not really, I guess, me saying, okay, 
take me now, I give up. Mm-hmm. It, it was more of a situation where you knew you were past the point of controlling it. And I knew that anything that I could have done to try to slow myself down or redirect my slide could have made it a lot worse. And by a lot worse, I mean, if I started to tumble or I went perpendicular with the mountain, that I would for sure be a goner because I wasn't wearing, even wearing a helmet. And, and you kind of knew that maintaining the slide that I was in, in the position that I was in, was going to be my best chance, just having everything eventually slow down and having you know gravity eventually just kind of stop my slide. Um, but at that speed that I was going, I just knew that there wasn't much I could do and not very much I even wanted to try to do. And um, yeah, I remember catching air at one point um, and it was, I was in the air long enough to think that how I come down is going to determine a lot about how everything turns out for me. Yeah. And um, yeah, you asked about that backpack and I think that it made a huge difference. Oh, I'm so, sure. I'm sure it did. It probably, probably kept your spine from getting too injured, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it could have been, yeah, I, I think it could have been broken ribs, punctured lung, um, just based on how bruised my back was around my rib cage the next day. Um, I, I knew that, you know, I, I did come down on it, but that the, how much, how much impact it absorbed made it made a huge difference. Well, so when you, so you explained a little bit about what you were thinking when you were sliding, mm-hmm. but Explain to us what it was like when you stopped from sliding. Sure. Yep. So eventually, you know, gravity lets up and the mountain levels out and I, I come to a stop. Still on and, snow. Yep. Yep. Full stop. And I'm still in a pretty precarious spot where if I stood up, I still could have started sliding again. And at that point, you know, I didn't have those, those yak tracks. Those were, those were gone along with my gloves. Um, and I remember looking down at my hands and they were just kind of all opened up. Um, I was missing a fingernail. I had some blood coming down off of my face. And I was just doing this whole inventory of, of injuries. Um, but me being alive was just the biggest shock of all. Um, and I could see yeah, my hands, my arms were pretty trashed. Uh, my my jacket sleeve had been pushed up to my elbows so I could see uh, my forearm, both my left and my right forearm. And they were skinned pretty good. I couldn't really see. This raspberries just from the, the rough snow just took the skin right off. Yeah. I mean, all of it, all of it was gone. Um, and my pants were just in tatters. Uh, and a huge section uh, by my right thigh was exposed. And just completely exposed to the snow too. Um, so I was like pretty quick between the shock of it and kind of having like skin to snow contact. I was, I was shivering pretty good. Um, but after I kind of take it all in, take the inventory of injuries, I was completely wholly convinced that something was shattered or broken or torn like in my body. Just that something had to be majorly wrong because of how violent all of it was, not necessarily because I could feel anything 
um, out of place or I couldn't see anything that, that looked really out of place. But um, I didn't want to move um, between the shock and kind of knowing the protocol of never wanting to move anybody who's just had a fall. Um, it made me hesitant to even try to get up. So I'm laying there for a little bit. And I can this whole time hear my my climbing partner yelling down to me. He's yelling, he's yelling way, which is it's kind of like a, a Spanish Mexican particular like slang, just kind of like saying dude in English. Um, so he was yelling that down to me. We just call that to each other all the time. And and there was another guy who who was climbing behind us at that point, and he started climbing down to me, and he thought my name was Wayne. And so he gets down to me. He's just like, Wayne, are you okay? I'm like, ah, my name's not Wayne, but I know why you're calling me that. Um, but yeah, he gets to me along with this other group of climbers that we had passed on the way up, uh, kind of towards the bottom of the mountain. And yeah, those those four guys, there was three guys in the party below us and then one guy that, was, that we were just ahead of who climbed down to me. Um, and it was... They were like unbelievably helpful. They completely stopped their day. They completely stopped even trying to summit um, just to help me out. And there was a lot of guilt behind that. Uh, I think I apologized a few times as I was just laying there in the snow, just saying, "I'm, I'm sorry if you guys aren't going to get to summit today. Like, I, you know, obviously didn't mean for this to happen, but um, yeah, there was there was an automatic guilt, and fortunately, a couple of groups had uh, emergency blankets so they wrapped me up and still I think it was a you know a combination of shock and, and cold but I was still shivering pretty pretty good and I remember one of the guys like cuddling me from behind and so he didn't really uh he was he was just trying to help and it was it was awesome um what a nice group of people right and thank you to those people if you're listening <laughs> yeah yeah thank you if you are listening and and Try to be that group if you come across somebody in the future. Um, but there's there's that aspect to it where, you know, you all of a sudden, they have this responsibility for me. And they didn't know that going into it. So, um, yeah, eventually my, my climbing partner gets down to me and he's got my ice axe. He's got, he's got Charlie, um, which was quite a feat to just kind of had to come back down with both ice axes and and charlie to get to me and he runs down and he he tries to get um he tries to get cell service there's no reception where i was um i had my apple watch and i tried to do an sos uh whatever it connects to the um emergency services but i don't think my phone had service or something interfered where where i wasn't able to do it and eventually he runs down, he finds service, and all of this is happening, um, I don't know if you remember, the, the 2019, in early 2019, we had a government shutdown, so Parks and Rec wasn't... Oh, I do remember that, yeah. So, so they didn't have anybody out there. Right. So eventually what ended up happening, because we kind of assessed the situation and thought, there's no way you're walking back down, um, and we're not driving to a hospital, we got to get a helicopter up here or just I don't even think the intention at first was to get a helicopter just to get help but you um, can't walk out I 
I, 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 at that point, I was convinced, no, that my leg had to have been broken. Yeah. And so eventually, um, I feel like I laid there for maybe 45 minutes or an hour uh, with those groups helping me out. And we finally hear a helicopter and it comes around. Um, we, we wave them down and then they leave. But, you know, we knew that they saw us. It was perfectly clear day. And I think they may have even uh, got on the PA and said that someone was going to come and pick us up. So eventually another helicopter shows up and they they let down a cable. Um, a guy comes down on it and he straps me up in a harness and he hoists me up. And it was just, uh, I, I also remember just thinking, oh, this is actually kind of cool. Like <laughs> the view from up here getting hoisted up in a, in a helicopter, um, was awesome. It was my first helicopter ride, but pretty immediately they put me into a neck brace and they lay me down and then they, they take me down to the bottom of the mountain. And from there they transfer me to an ambulance, um, which I thought was weird looking back after the fact, because the, the hospital that they took me to was a trauma center and they have a helipad. So, for whatever reason, they skipped that step and kind of made it like this whole hour or two longer process to move me to an ambulance. And, um, and yeah, it was, I, I was, you know, given some painkillers on the way and something to calm down this, this shock that I was going through. Um, and yeah, I, I got wheeled in and it was completely out of a movie TV show um, hospital show where you have four faces above you while you're getting wheeled in and they're cutting off your pants or cutting off your, your shoelaces or taking your boots off. Um, and then they come by and they, they x-ray everything. And it wasn't until they came back with the results that the x-ray results that it finally set in that, that nothing was broken. And I just remember that just being burned into my mind that you know, I was, I couldn't believe it. You know, I had asked them to check it a couple times because there was no way that that, that could have happened. Um, just too violent, too fast. And I had too many things coming down, but yeah, nothing happened. I, I had my hands bandaged up for a couple of months, had some, some deep, deep gashes in the fatty part of my, of my palm, my right hand. Um, they were, they thought they might need to do some skin grafting on that. Uh, I burned off a couple of fingerprints on my hands, but they likened it to being a, a really bad motorcycle accident, right? Like just, you have all these friction burns, uh, up and down your hands, um, up and down your arms and, and yeah, everything, um, Outside of the friction burns on my hands and, and thigh and arms, it was, everything was fine. It took me, you know, a few months to get the bandages off. So there was some mobility issues after that. Um, but it was, it was very fortunate, all things considered. And I, and so you think that you fell, you told me earlier, a thousand feet. It's, it's funny because my friend, my, my climbing partner, always said that like right after the accident anytime we retold the story he was saying 
you slid for a thousand feet and I would yeah. always come back and I would say, there's no way. That's like, insane. There's, there's no way. I'm like, it's impossible that it was a thousand feet. And so we kind of had this, this back and forth about it for a while. And then we finally went and we redid it in January of this year. And, oh, congrats. Uh, Did you do it uh, January 19th? No, it was a couple, <laughs> it was a couple of weeks after that, but um, yeah, it's, it's always marked in my calendar as, as something I need to go and just do something on that day. Right. Um, but I, I did want to do it on the anniversary. I didn't, I didn't get to, but um, so I checked on my, on my watch just to see from the starting point of where we thought I had ended up to where we thought I'd started sliding. And I think at about, he asked me a couple times, like where we were on my watch on, on how high, how much elevation gain we had. And once we got about six or 700 feet of, of gain, I would, and we still had like a long ways to go from, from where I started sliding. I stopped telling him, I started, I stopped updating him because he was, he was right. It was, um, it was probably, yeah, around a thousand feet, maybe a little bit more. Um, but That's remarkable. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I, uh, I definitely had that feeling of, of, wow, I'm, I'm so fortunate. I'm so grateful that, that nothing bad happened to me, that I didn't die out there. And I think after a while, like with a lot of things, you start to lose, you lose that focus a little bit. You lose that gratitude and that appreciation. Um, and I start thinking to myself, oh, well, if 10 people, if this happens to 10 people, maybe nine of them end up the same way I do. And only one person gets severely injured or dies. Um, and I want to say it was a year or two after the accident, I read about a search and rescue worker on Mount Baldy, um, who ended up dying, unfortunately, by, uh, they, they were looking for a lost hiker. And so that really kind of brought it back of, yeah, you know what? He was, he was trained and he was, I'm assuming wearing a helmet and everything he needed, um, and that happened to him, you know, maybe, maybe I am as lucky as I originally thought. So it's, it's for sure, um, nice to have as something to reflect back on and be able to pull up emotionally. And, you know, anytime you're taking anything for granted, you just, you have experiences like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, you start appreciating what you have. Right. And well, it's so true too. I mean, uh, I'm guilty of this as well, Andrew, thinking that I'm invincible. And I even did a, an episode on it a few years back. Um, and I got a lot of crap actually from, you know, oh, the host of the Sharpen podcast thinks she's invincible. Like, um, what an idiot. Um, and it's just like, I mean, it, I'm vulnerable and I'm truthful and I'm honest and brutally honest. And when I'm out in mountains most of my life, I, I do take it for granted and I feel mm -hmm. invincible. Um, and we forget that we're not. Um, right. Accidents can happen to anybody, even search and rescue folks and even, you know, uh, professional climbers and mountaineers and even me and, you know, an average podcaster girl. Yep. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's just so important that we realize that and we value each and every day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when, when it does happen to seasoned vets, um, experienced climbers, whatever it is, there's, you know, a lot of times you hear it's an element of complacency that they've done this a million times. 
they don't ever think about the safety and yeah it it can it can you know come up and and bite you really quick um yeah yeah what 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 were some of the lessons that you learned from from this incident yeah so thankfully that i'm alive and i can I can get past that, that there is, is definitely a time and place for all my adventures with Charlie. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, unclipping him from my harness was the best thing that happened. And, uh, because if you didn't in that moment, he would have slid with you. Exactly. Right. And what kind of dog is Charlie? He's a golden retriever. Nice. Um, yeah. And he's, he's a good dog. I mean, this dog loves the outdoors and he loves adventures even more than I do. And so it's, it's tough to think about um, that. I could have just like robbed him of all of that. If I, <clears throat> if I would have had him clipped to my harness or, or I mean, clipped to my backpack. Um, yeah. I, I, that would have been the hardest thing to cope with, of course, but have, knowing that there's a time and place for him to be on, on my adventures um, was, was a big lesson that I learned. Um, but outside of, of not having Charlie around um, for, certain, for certain activities, preparedness, I'm sure, like a lot of, like a lot of other people who've learned their lesson, is, is, is a big one. But I, it, it's a pretty broad one, and I think preparedness in the sense of proper gear and skill set is what's important. And an honest assessment of where I am with my experience level would have been, would have been great to have. Um, even, even not having proper crampons for, for that route, I, I should have known how to self-arrest better. I should have done some practice without that practice having horrible repercussions and um, you know, potentially deadly outcome. So, so really quick. So, so one of the things that you would have prepared better for is, you know, you would have had different, um, different footwear or at least different, uh, a different traction device on your boot. Um, and then, you know, preparing, uh, with some increasing your skill set with practicing self-arrest with ice axe. What, what other, what other things could you have prepared better for this incident or to minimize this incident? Um, yeah. So the, the gear I think was, was the highest point of it. I mean, on this particular, on this particular climb, because I mean, the first thing I went out and, and bought um, with my REI dividends, like that year was, was a set of, of crampons. And I used that in January when we went and redid it. And I like hardly needed an ice axe on the way up. Um, so the gear for sure um, a skill set assessment, and there is, you know, a level of, of researching what route you're going to do, right. and yeah. um, hopping on the internet and, and reading Mountain Project or, or whatever it might be. Um, but that part I kind of struggle with a little bit. Um, reading, reading Mountain Projects, like reading summit reviews, and sure, yep, summit reviews, um, and just easy rating stuff. And just to get a snapshot of how hard it's going to be. So you absolutely need the gear, the training, but I think you start walking a fine line between staying safe and then losing a little bit of the sense of adventure when you start 
pouring over every tiny piece of beta or detail about that route. Yeah, that's true, definitely. Um, yeah. So it's it's tough because at some point, at, at, at a point you're eventually just repeating what you saw online. And if you know every single handhold, every single foot placement, then you lose some of like that, that rawness that makes these activities a real adventure. Right. Well, what about going back to gear? What about having an inReach or having a having you know two way mm-hmm. radios where you could have radioed up to your partner or some or something like that? Would that would you get that kind of gear equipment post? Yep. Yeah. So I do have, um, and funny enough for you, uh, a set of Rocky Talkies nice. that that I got a few months ago. They're so awesome, and they really are yeah. so awesome. I was I was using them yesterday. I went I went climbing with my same climbing partner, and it was we we're doing a like a three pitch route, and it was it was pretty windy, and it gets yeah it's it's tough to hear people. It is when yeah, and so it made a, it made a huge difference. Um, I've I've used them a few times on some longer trad climbs, and it's huge. Um, I don't have an in reach, but the Rocky Talkies have, have been awesome and. I think in that situation that I was in, we could have just scanned for channels on a two-way radio mm-hmm. and got somebody that had service or at least broadcasted like, hey, somebody down there needs to call 911 if you have cell reception. Yeah, um, that's a good point. But, yep, so so emergency response equipment like that because, you know, my watch didn't do anything for me in that moment. Yeah. Um, and... I think another another big takeaway too was was just commitment to Oof. what I was doing. One of my yep. most uh, despised words, commitment. <laughs> this podcast is the longest commitment or in or in or longest relationship I've ever been in. <laughs> yeah, for your podcast, yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I think I've had a few experiences, and this is kind of commitment after the fact of this accident where. You know, I've had a few experiences since the accident where I've had maybe not flashbacks because it's it's a little bit too strong of a word. I haven't had flashbacks, but I've had instances where my confidence gets replaced with this PTSD trauma of what happened. And it's never, you know, during an ascent, never during a climb, fortunately, it hasn't really kicked in then. But these some of these climber uh, descents, particularly there's there's two kind of I can remember pretty badly in the last couple of years um, one in Takis and one in Yosemite I was coming down these climber trails and it's just really exposed and there's a very pretty clear trail um, but it's a little narrow and a lot exposed and it kind of it kicks in um, and I have a little bit of a freak out session but uh, kind of I knew I know that if I didn't have that fall, I wouldn't be freaking out over some of this stuff. And it's tough because, like, I have a, I have a family cares about me, loves me very much, and I think their their gut reaction of wanting me to stay safe is by constantly telling me not to do something. Mm, that's tough. That's tough to juggle because you want to do it. it mm-hmm. And it really, really impacts my commitment to something in the moment because if I think about that if I think about what they tell me it's I'm already there and I never want to be thinking oh you know 
my mom or my sister or my dad like told me no, I shouldn't be doing this and here I am doing it. So that one's that one's tough to cope with um, in the moment, but but yeah, it's it, it it really makes an impact on who your outside support system is and the message that they're trying to give you um, when you're when you're out here like that because eventually they know you're not going to not do it. It's it, and it's, it's a horrible thing to take away from somebody. What do you think? How do you support the people that you care about when they do things in mountains that you think are dangerous? This is another great topic to discuss with your outdoor community, family, and friends. Thank you so much, Andrew, for sharing. Thanks to Rocky Talkies for sponsoring this podcast. And thanks to the American Alpine Club for their consistent support. Did you know that the American Alpine Club has their own podcast now? You can now take a deep dive into your favorite American Alpine Club content via your headphones and car stereo. The drive to work or your favorite hangboard routine just got way more interesting. Find the American Alpine Club podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. You can show your support to this podcast by donating on PayPal or becoming a Patreon member. And as always, remember, play hard and be smart.